Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead as we look at this chapter and give us an understanding of what it is we're looking at. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 12. This is kind of a, we're taking a break out of the things that are going on and we're doing a little bit of a history lesson here. And that's what this is all about. So 17 verses, we're going to read them all and then we'll come back and... Start taking it apart. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, in pain to do, be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew a third part of the stars from, of heaven, and did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to deliver and to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and unto his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, and where she had prepared a place prepared of God, and they should feed her for 3,260 days. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, and the, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world, and was cast out upon the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying, Now is come the salvation, the strength, the and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God night and day. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he is knows that he has but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman with great, which brought forth the man-child. And, and to the woman were given two wings of the great eagle, and that she might fly into the wilderness and to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away to the of the flood and the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood that the dragon cast out of his mouth and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which kept which keep the covenant of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ all right so we have a lot of figurative language here but we're going to kind of tear it apart a little bit there's a lot of controversy on this one by some people but it really is a very straightforward <laughs> passage. Uh, there are a lot of people who try to tell you that the woman is the church. Don't ever buy into that because the church does not give birth to Christ. Christ gives birth to the church. <laughs> okay, the church is his bride. So the church, the woman is not the church with you. And there's, there's all kinds of people who will make all kinds of great big convoluted arguments and discussions that the woman is the church. And just know that that turns the whole picture up on, on its head. It can't, it can't be, be that. Uh, the woman here is quite clearly Israel. <laughs> Israel gives birth to the Messiah. Okay, specifically Mary, but 
from from the from the Israel. And there's lots of ways we know that this is Israel. There's the symbolicness of it. Uh, if you go back to Genesis <coughs> chapter 37, we have a vision that that Joseph gives, which, verse 9, And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it to his brothers, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him, saying, What is this that dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down ourselves to you in the earth? So in this case, Jacob recognized the sun, moon, and the stars representing the family. And so they'll use that to show you that this is who, who uh, is being talked about here. But just the context of it has to be Israel. Israel is the one that gives birth to Jesus. And all through the Old Testament, God calls Israel his, his bride, his wife. Okay, And he, he accuses, accuses Israel constantly of prostitution. Uh, prostituting itself, going, out, going whoring after other gods because he says, you're my wife. And so there's this, this issue here that comes in and says that this is what's going on. Now, I believe that there's also a physical representation here in the, scar, in the stars. In the September, October range, Virgo, the virgin, has the has the sun on her shoulder and the moon at her feet. <laughs> and above her is the, the crown with 12 stars. So I believe that there's also a physical, real picture here in heaven, just as he says. But there's also the symbolic gesture of this, that the, the virgin will give birth to the child, and Satan is trying to destroy, and we see this. And it says that she's, she's travailing in birth and in pain to deliver. And then we saw the great red dragon. And this is very clearly Satan. Okay, Satan appears in the scene, and there's a dragon right by Virgo the Virgin. So, I mean, all of this plays out in the stars as well as the history of what's going on. And it says that he has seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And this shows seven heads, seven different nations, you know, crowns upon them, that he's a ruler of them. And then horns always represent the power. Okay, so we're seeing something with great power. And Satan has great power on this earth. And we're going to see how he was cast out of heaven and, and all of that. But Satan has power. And this is something we want to be very careful of because we know that he has power. He was the main cherub in his day before he fell. Okay, he, he was next to God. He was the top angel, which is why his fall is so bad, because he saw God. He heard the counsels. He was, he was you know, as far as angels go, he was the, the, the one right there with God listening in on different things and, and knowing what was going on, and yet he turned from God. And this is an amazing thing, the, 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 the absolute, he had full knowledge and he still turned from God because of pride. He decided he wanted to have that pride. And we, in Isaiah, we have the I wills of, of uh, Satan, I will ascend unto the, the holy place, I will make my throne 
you know, with God, you know, and he goes all these different things and been, it was found that he had this great pride because he was not happy with his place in heaven. You know, his place in heaven being the number one angel wasn't enough. And when you see the sin nature, that is the sin nature. We're never happy with whatever we've got. There's always something more that we want. And this is true for all of us. If we, if we let our sin nature rule, we always want more. Just a little bit more. I believe it was Rockefeller that was asked, you know, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more than I have is enough. And that's always going to be a little bit more. Okay, so she's with this woman that's seen up there with the 12 crown, the crown of 12 stars, the sun and the moon. Very clearly, this is talking about Israel as a whole, specifically Mary at the, at the last times. And she gives birth, and then this red dragon in verse 3, having seven heads and seven crowns, and just in case we don't know who it is, it, it's going to go further, and he, his tail drew down a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them down. And this shows us that Satan, when he, when he was cast out of heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. And it's a pretty amazing thing. It's, you know, we sometimes wonder about this. How, could, how, how deceptive is he to be able to trick a third of the angels who see what's going on in the heavenly realms to be on his side? And they were cast down to this earth. Okay? This earth has become his domain. And he, then he went in and he tricked Eve and, and got her to sin. And, and then Adam sinned... sinned uh, with Eve so that he didn't lose her and gave Satan the title deed to this world. And this is a critical thing. It, the Bible tells us that Satan is the god of this world, little g god. He's not a, you know, an omniscience god, he, but he is the ruler of this world <coughs> until Jesus came and he died to take away the title deed from him. And we talked about as the seventh trumpet comes that all of a sudden it's time for him to start taking back what is his? He bought it. He's taken it back. Now he's taken a long time to get around to taking it back, but he bought it at the cross. And at the end of the seventh trumpet, it says, "Okay, now is the time." And if you remember that, it says, "Now is the time for a, for him to take back the world." And this is where we're going to start seeing this transition all through this in this chapter. And as we look at this, he says, "The dragon drew a third of the stars," and. He stood before the woman ready to consume her child. And one of the things that has happened all through history is that Satan has tried to destroy the Jews. Why does he want to destroy the Jews? Because if he can destroy the Jews, he could have kept the Messiah from being born. He did it during the, the famine where Joseph saved them. He when they were in Egypt, the Pharaoh tried to have them have the males killed so that they would not be able to have a pure blood line. They had all the different wars through the 40 years of wandering where they were tried to be destroyed. Uh, you had the Assyrians carrying away captive, captive uh, Israel, and they had a habit of destroying people. Uh, during the Babylonian captivity, they were scattered all across the world, and the idea was that maybe we can dilute this bloodline uh, Herod, when Jesus was born, killed all the children in Bethlehem two years and younger, trying to kill the Messiah. Satan has forever been trying to destroy the Israelite people so that he could stop Messiah from being born. 
standing before the woman to consume her child when it was born. Since, the, since Jesus has been born, Satan has kept up the attacks on the, on the Jews. Anti-Semitism has been very strong and is growing again. And the idea is that if he can kill off the Jews, he, can know, he knows he can't stop the Messiah from being born because the Messiah has come, and, come been born. And, and, but his next goal is to stop what we're studying now. The Jews being raised up at the end days. So he's trying hard to destroy them even to this day. Hitler came along trying to destroy the, destroy the Jews and all these different groups that have tried to destroy the Jews are backed by Satan to get rid of them so that the book cannot be fulfilled. And he's not going to win. He's not going to win because God's not going to let him destroy his people. It all has to be there so that the fulfillment of the book, the fulfillment of what God says is going to happen can happen. But I hope this helps understand when you see all this anti-Semitism going on, it's because Satan is trying to stop the completion. If he can make the Bible untrue, then he, went, then he somehow finds a way to win, and that just won't happen. God won't let it happen. This is prophesied to happen, and God says it's going to happen. It will happen, but Satan is trying hard to destroy the Jewish people. And this is why, and this is why them being back as a nation is such a big deal because this gives them their identity. This brings them back as a, as a group, and that's why there's so much turmoil in the Middle East because Satan is trying to destroy them. He wants them out of the way, and Satan's goal is to get the whole world to come against him, which is this seven heads and ten crowns and all this stuff that goes on shows us that he's trying to draw the world together and as he gets it more and more into one world government it'll come more and more against Israel and we're going to see this happening and, and we're hearing the rumblings if you if you listen to news you if you're a political junkie like I am uh, you're hearing all this stuff about how states are not you know states and, and countries are not good because it's divisive we need just one world government and it's, and it's what our leaders believe in. One big world government to try to fix all the problems because there's, you got all these different countries with different rules and different belief systems and they're fighting against each other for, and, and making life difficult for one, you know, one glorified world. Yeah, and very few want the no world government. Huh? No world government. Oh no, they want they want government. They want government because no, it takes us all the way back to the Tower of Babel. No world government sounds good. So, that's not good either. Because that's anarchy, and they know that's not going to work. Yeah. But all the way back at the Tower of Babel, God said it was not good that man was one, and He changed all the languages. Why? Because they were trying to find trying to replace God. That this is where the Babylonian religion started under Nimrod and all of our false religions have flowed from that from that religious system all of them have their roots in that that religious system from from Nimrod when God came down and said I'm going to confuse the languages so that the and the people would be scattered we have gotten over the language barrier in our day and age and language you know there's so much translation going on we can we're basically back to one language for all practical purposes. You know, we can communicate with anybody now. And so we're back, we're back to square one. We're back to Babel. And what is coming in? We're trying to make our own world religion out there that says, this is, this is a good religion, follow this.
and it's based a lot in it, a lot of it has Christian Christian basis in it, and a lot of Christian truth in it. The Babylonian Empire uh, religion had a savior who died for three days and was resurrected and was a virgin-born child long before Jesus came along. And this is why a lot of people look at the story of Jesus and say, well, this, it's, the, it's just a copy of everything that's been out there. No, everything else was a copy of him. It just happened to be beforehand because God prophesied and said that it was going to happen because Satan made copies of it before the real showed up. And for us as Christians, we can understand it because God is eternal. He said it's going to happen, and the story's been there forever. And Satan has duplicated it and, and, and masked it and, and morphed it. And we see all the stories. When you look at the mythologies out there, many of them have Christian elements within the mythologies. You get the story of Hercules, the part God, man, who did everything Jesus did, cleaned out, cleaned out Hades and conquered death and all these things that he did, which were a mirror of what Jesus was going to do in reality, not, not in their stories and the, and the mythology. And so all of this comes about, and we're seeing here, Satan is trying hard to destroy the truth. He copies. Remember always that Satan is a liar and a thief and a murderer from the beginning. He, if he, he does, that's what it says in the scriptures. He, he's a murderer. Kill, steal, and destroy. Kill, yeah. And his whole goal is to destroy anything that God wants. And he never creates anything of his own. He always counterfeits. He is not a creator. He is not somebody who does something new. He counterfeits everything. And so this is why God has a truth, and for every truth that God has, Satan has multiple lies to try to get us to believe. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Satan comes along and says, oh, there's no such thing as God. No, there's no such thing as good. You, you know, and then for those who really want to be righteous, do more good than bad, and you'll be okay with this God. You know, he has all these different lies on how you can come to heaven and enter into heaven when God says there's only one way. And Satan comes along and says, oh, no, there's lots of ways. God says, be faithful in your marriage. And Satan comes along, oh, that's just trying to keep you from having fun. Just have, all, you know, have as many wives as you want. Have as, many, you know, have as many flings as you want. It's all, you know, nothing bad about it. And he gives you all these lies. God, you know, whatever God says, Satan has a whole bunch of lies about. And so we always want to be able to look and say, what are the lies? What is the truth? And be able to identify some of these lies that come our way and by knowing the truth. Because Satan is out there and the, he knows that the best lies have just enough truth in them to sound good and draw you in. And when you're told a real whopper of a lie, you look at the person like, you know, yeah, right. You know, you know it's a lie. But when there's just enough truth in what they're saying to kind of draw you in, like, well, maybe... You know, I do know that that's a fact, and all of a sudden it's wrapped around with all these lies, but you're drawn in by the, the little tidbits of truth. That is how Satan lies. He mixes up just enough truth to say, come on in. Come on in. By, you know, get this hook. <laughs> get this hook. The, you know, he baits, the, baits all the lies with a, with a little bit of piece of bait of truth to draw you in, and his lies are out there. God says he created the world in six days. We've got all the lies out there of 
evolution and theistic evolution and no God at all being involved and, and, and just needing, needing science and all these different other alternative beliefs. And God says, I created it in six days. Now, now a long time ago, it used to be really hard because people couldn't understand how God, why God took so long to make it in six days. They figured it had to be six seconds. <laughs> You know, which makes sense. God could have created the world in six seconds. I mean, no, he could have created it in a second, you know, just a thought, and he could have had everything all created, but he created it so that a day would be re represent something and that it, every, six, every seventh day we'd rest. Because God could have done it in, in, in seconds, and then we wouldn't have had a week. The week is the only thing in, uh, out there that really has no basis in, out there to figure out why it's there. Okay, we have a month because it takes the moon, uh, you know, 28 days to go around the earth. We have a year because it's 364.2.14 days, uh, 0.25 days to go around the, around the sun. Uh, but a week really isn't anything. I mean, it's just kind of arbitrary out there. And it's arbitrary because God took seven days to create the, uh, six days to create and one day to rest. And so... All of these things out there that God is saying, I've got this. You need to rest. Satan says, just go out there and keep working because you don't, you don't, you know, you'll lose everything if you, if you take take day off. You know, God says, give him a tithe of our offering. Satan says, what a dumb thing to do. Keep everything that you want. You need everything. Okay, whatever God says in the scripture, Satan's going to come around with a whole bunch of lies to us, and we need to be able to understand the truth. If we see the truth, we'll see the lies. And this is something we want to be able to always see is the truth that God gives out there. The truth will provide light. The truth will provide illumination. People have asked, well, how do you witness to? And you name your own group in there. It's always the same answer. The gospel is the gospel. I'm going to teach them the gospel because I'm not going to be out there trying to convince somebody that what they believe is wrong. Because I might be able to convince them that they're wrong, and then somebody else is going to convince them that I was wrong in convincing them that they were wrong. <laughs> so, you know, then have a better argument. So the key for us when we're witnessing to somebody, we're all sinners. <laughs> we deserve hell. Jesus died for our sins. Truly believe those things and ask him to come into your heart and, and be wrote, your Lord. I wrote those four scriptures down that, I have my other Bible that I want to memorize. I mean, uh... mm -hmm. but that is—that's the truth. That is the you know, when we speak the truth, that is what will get people saved. And then Christ comes into them and convinces them long term about the truth. If I sit there and I try to out argue a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or a, or a Muslim or a Buddhist and try to give them arguments to try to get them to be Christians, it's a lost it is a lost cause. I might win the battle. I might win the argument for a little while until they talk to somebody else and, and come up with a better argument. But if I give them the gospel and Christ comes into their heart, he will win the argument in the long run because he's going to change who they are. And so this is the key to all of this. Satan in this uh, fourth verse is ready to destroy the child, 12. And then when it says in verse 5, And when she brought forth a man-child who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron, her child was caught up by God 
and unto his throne. This is obviously the child is Jesus. Nobody out there questions that this child is Jesus. The, the, the one who came to rule with the iron rod and who was caught up into heaven is Jesus. And so because this child is born and it is Jesus, the woman must be Israel. There is no other option for this woman to be anything but a representation of Israel and more specifically, in, you know, in this case, Mary, uh, who was the mother. And so but it is very clearly this is Jesus. And then in verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she, she had a place prepared of God that she should feed for 1,230 uh, 60 days, which is three and a half years. <laughs> Okay, and remember, we've gone through the trumpets. We're three and a half years into the tribulation period. And at this point, we're going to read later on, Satan reveals himself for who he is and, rep and shows that he, was, he deceived the Jewish people with their, with their peaceful negotiations, and he's out to destroy them. He declares that he's God. They see through him. And at the three and a half year mark, they, they will, the Jewish people will flee. They will flee from Jerusalem and flee into God's protection. And God will protect them for three and a half years. He's been protecting them all the rest of the time, but he will specifically be protecting them for three and a half years at this point. And we see at this point, then we look at verse 7, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. So there's going to be a great spiritual battle. Now, there's been battle going on since the beginning of time when Satan was cast down. But this is going to be a huge battle because Satan knows his time is short. And we've talked about this. The most dangerous animal is one that's cornered. The most dangerous person, you know, when the law has to deal with them is that person who has nothing to lose. Or at least they feel they have nothing to lose. They're, they're, you know, they've killed a number of people. They're going to go to the electric chair. They are very dangerous because they'll take. You know, their goal now is not to surrender, not to even get away. Their goal is to take as many people down with them as they go down. This is where Satan is at the end of the three and a half years. There's a battle in heaven, and it says Michael is involved in this one and. Michael is one of the angels that we know the name of. He is the chief warrior angel. As far as we understand, he is the one that replaced Lucifer when he was cast out of heaven. He stepped up to be the chief angel. Gabriel is always the one that's delivering messages. And you've got Michael who's always been, if you remember in Daniel, when Daniel was praying for, for something, the angel that came and answered him said, I was dispatched at the very first day, but the angel of Persia prevented me from coming. It was a stronger angel than the angel that was delivering the message. And he said, I had to get Michael's, <laughs> Michael to come and help me. Okay, so Michael is a very obviously in the, in the, as far as we understand the scripture, he is the chief warrior angel. It's when, when, all out, when, when, when everything's going wrong, God, God sends Michael to say, you go take care of this. And so we see that Michael and the angels are fighting against the against Satan and his angels. And he only drew, remember, he drew one-third of the angels with him out of, out of heaven to be, be his demon. So there's two angels for every one that demon. 
Okay? Which should give us great comfort as a Christian because God has more than enough angels to protect us from the devil and his demons. There's two, two to one out there. And verse 8, And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. So they're going to go this war in heaven. He's not going to prevail. We're in chapter 3. Chapter 12. We're, we're back, into, back into Revelation. All the way at the back. At this point, Satan is cast out of 12. Cast out of heaven. He does not have access anymore to the throne room of heaven. And remember, we've talked about this because people question, well, how can Satan be present in heaven? Well, because God has a throne room, just as any king would have a throne room. And the throne room is always one of the very first room you come into in the castle. And it is the place where judgments are made. And anybody in the kingdom can go into the throne room because that is where judgments, that's where the courts are held in, in essence. So in, in any kingdom, if you watch any medieval movie, you'll see the commoners coming and standing before the king seated on the throne in the throne room. Now beyond the throne room, nobody, you know, it, you, you know the average person was not allowed. But Satan had, until this point in time, at the very end time, had access to the throne room of heaven. We see him in Job coming into the throne room of heaven. Oh, Satan, where have you been? Oh, I've been wandering to and fro around the world. You know, uh, you know have you considered my servant Job? You know, and Oh, yeah, I've considered him, but you're protecting him. I can't do anything to him. And God gives the permission to go do it. And he's done that all through history. He goes to the throne room and says, and God says, what have you been doing? I've been wandering around. Have you considered my servant? And he puts some servant out there, and it doesn't seem like anybody sur suffered as bad as Job, but uh, the good news is he's, Satan always has needed permission. And we've talked about this. Satan is on a leash by God, sometimes a very short leash, sometimes a little longer leash, but he has only so much room that he can go, and he can go no further. And in Job's case, he had a pretty long leash. You know, his leash was you can do anything to him, but you can't take his life. That's a pretty long leash as far as I'm concerned. But it started out with a really short leash. Okay, you can take his possessions, but you can't touch him. Okay, and then it was you can touch his health, but you can't take his life. Satan is always on a leash with God. And even in this battle, he's showing that he can't win. Because remember, Satan is a created being, and God could just, unthink him out of existence if he wanted to. You know, he's, a, he's a created being, just like any of us. He could, he could just say, well, I don't want to believe in these people anymore, and poof, we're gone. You know, and lose, lose concentration for just a moment, and this whole world would just blow, blow to pieces because he holds all things together. Satan is on this leash, and it's going to come at the end days when he doesn't even have access to the, to the throne room that says right here, there was no place found in heaven for him. So he couldn't even go into the throne room. He's been banned completely from heaven in this last three and a half years of, of the battle. But he could, like you said, I didn't know that Satan can go to heaven, but in that one. Right now. Yeah, right now, but not later on. But when he comes to this battle, when, he's out, when, he, when he does a full-fledged war against God, knowing that his time is short, God says, okay, you're not even... Because there's nobody to protect. He's, he's got Israel placed in their protection. He's got the church in heaven with him. So all that's out there are those that are belong 
belong to hell anyway. So, so Satan is going to do quite a bit down there. But even then, he's going to be on that leash, and say, God's going to say, "No, no, you you can't do but so much." Because he's still used to doing it before. Right. Because well, because that's what he does. Yeah. God is sovereign, and he's going to do what he wants to do. Verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast into the earth, and, the, and his angels were cast out with him. So we see this total casting out. And we see here, if there was any question of who the red dragon was, it answers it right here in this chapter. It is the devil. Okay, if, if there was any question, because we already know that he was cast out, he took a third of the angels with him, so it was very clear from that. But just in case there was any question as to who this was, it says he was the devil and Satan. Okay, um, so we want to be able to keep that in mind because God very clearly is showing the pictures. And this is why this chapter draws a lot of people, you know, with a lot of questions, but it's very clear who every each of the characters are because it's just doing a history lesson. Satan was cast out. He was, he's done all kinds of problems. He's going to go to battle for the last three and a half years. He's been continually trying to destroy the Jews and, and, and their people, first to try to keep the Messiah from being born, and now to try to keep the book of Revelation from be, being fulfilled. Okay, So he's always been out there trying to destroy the Jews because they are the centerpiece of, of Scripture. They, and we need to keep that in mind. There's a number of people that try to teach that the, that the church has replaced Israel. That is not true. Israel has been put on the back burner for the last 2,000 years because God has been dealing with the church. But once he takes the church out, the Jews become the centerpiece of everything again. They were the centerpiece and they will be the centerpiece. And God has just taken a little hiatus for the Jews and said, okay, I'm going to keep protecting you and everything, but I'm going to deal with my church. My church is going to evangelize the Gentiles. You failed to, you failed to go out and bring, bring the Gentiles into me. I'm going to use the church to bring them to me. And then at the end days, we'll, we'll, we'll finish up with the Jews. Okay? God is not finished with the Jews. They're his people. They're his people forever. And so... This all goes into this whole key. And the whole reason Satan is trying to destroy him, like I said, before was to try to keep Jesus from being born. Because if he had wiped out the Jews, then the Messiah would not have been born. Because God told each one of them, each, each of the promises. He told Adam and Eve in Genesis that the Messiah would be coming, that he would bruise the serpent's the serpent would bruise his head and he'd crush the serpent's heel. Uh, he told Abraham, those who bless you will be blessed. And by the way, you're going to have a ruler. You know, Jacob and Isaac, he told David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne of Israel forever. And that'll be Jesus who comes in, in that line of David. So Satan's goal up till the time Jesus was born to was to get rid of the Jews. Because if he could get rid of the Jews, all that God said would have been a lie. And ever since then, he's been trying, since Jesus, he's been trying to get rid of the Jews because he doesn't want these verses in, in Revelation to be true. I hope you get that understanding. It's, it's a whole battle out there, and that's why all that stuff is going on. Verse 10, And I heard a loud voice in, in heaven, Now is come the salvation, the strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God night and day. 
All right, we're coming into the last three and a half years of the tribulation. We've had the trumpets all sounding. And remember at the end trumpet, that last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, God declared that they were going to take back the world. The kingdoms of the world are given, to, given back to Jesus. Okay, He bought them at the cross. And after the seventh trumpet, before the seven vials, Jesus is going to start taking, taking it back. And that's what the, this, the whole last three and a half years is a huge battle. A huge battle. And again, it's a battle that's taking time. And why is it taking time? God could have just come in and said, Satan, you're gone, goodbye, you know, you're strapped up, just as he's going to do at the end of the seven vials. But the purpose of the length of time is so that the world will come back to God. Okay, And we've said this right from the beginning. Everything about the book of Revelation and the tribulation is not because God's mad at people and trying to, to abuse them. His whole purpose is to try to get them to turn to him. As things get hard, his hope is that they will turn to him and repent. And that is his whole goal. And at this point, he could have just said, Satan, I'm going to lock you up. I'm going to tie you up and change and send you to hell. But that means that everybody who's alive at that point that's rejected him would end up in hell. But he wants a little more time, just a little more time. The patience of God that we see here, just a little more time with people. Maybe one or two more will repent. You know, maybe one or two hundred more, but you know, whatever it is, whatever number it is that he's looking at, he knows a few more are going to repent. And so he gives them another three and a half years now, another three and a half years that you don't want to be living under, but another three and a half years, and that, and that hope is that all of that sorrow and pain and, and abuse that they're going to get from Satan will draw them to God. And that's his whole goal. God is so patient, and, and most of us are probably very happy that he was patient because most, you know, I'm very glad that he didn't, didn't say there was, that, that things were over before I was 10 years old and got saved. But this whole thing that is out there, his patience, his, his desire to draw people yeah, to wow. him, and it's unbelievable the amount of patience because of how much he hates sin and wants judgment for sin, and yet he's being patient with people because he knows that some are still out there that are going to respond to his love and his mercy and turn to him. And that's what his patience is all about. His patience with Israel is, as they're rebelling against him year after year after year after year after year after year for, for centuries before he sends them into captivity to teach them a lesson. You know, is just, you see this great patience. His patience with the people of Canaan where he waited 430 years for their sin to, to come to its fullness before he said, okay, that is enough. I'm going to destroy the Canaanites. 430 years. And God is patient. And we need to be so thankful sometimes that God is patient because we do a lot of things that are wrong and he's patient with us. But yeah. then we don't have may not may not be decades long patience, you know, but he has patience with us to draw us into it. All right, so he says, "Now has come salvation, deliverance, and strength." God gives us strength and the kingdom of God, and this is what we're talking about at the end of end of the seventh trumpet. God is starting to say, "I'm taking the kingdoms. I am going to directly rule these kingdoms." 
they're going to be put under, and the very end will be when the millennial kingdom is set up where he rules for a thousand years over the people who managed to make the tribulation period without taking the mark of the beast, which will mostly be Jews, okay, because they're the ones that are going to recognize him for who he is and, and be hidden. Uh, there will be a handful of others. There's always, and we talked about this a couple weeks, there's always a remnant out there. God always has a small number of people that believe in him, or a large number of the people that believe in him. Power of his Christ, and the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God night and day. And that's, that's Satan's goal right now. Satan does not spend much time on this earth. He's got all his little demons reporting to him, and he stands before God accusing him, God, you know what so-and-so has done. You know what this person's done. You know, you know, this person's supposed to be one of your children, but look what they're doing. You know, uh, accusing them, accusing them. And Jesus is up there as our defender, our mediator. And his answer is real simple. Father, I paid for that. I shed my blood for that. Over and over, his defense is real simple. Paid for, covered, gone. And Satan keeps accusing us, and Jesus says, paid for, I paid for it. I'm the one that paid for it already. And there's a song that I like listening, One Drop of Blood. You know, paid for, paid for all of our sin. The preciousness of Jesus' blood and his sacrifice. One drop of his blood covers our sin. And he just stands there before the Father as Satan rails accusations against us and says, uh, objection is paid for, objection is paid for. I already paid for that. I already covered that. And, uh, and Satan stays up there just accusing us. It's verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. And basically this says they were willing to give up their lives. And this is going to come this time very soon in the in the very near future where the blood of God and our testimony, and we may have to give up our lives for that testimony. Just as the disciples did when they stood before the Roman Empire and gave up their lives and were killed, boiled in oil, hung, beheaded, you know, placed in, you know, many Christians placed into the gladiator rings to be torn up by wild animals or by, by gladiators. Uh, run through with lances, you know, all the ways that our people have died. Hard book to read, but I still highly recommend. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs if you want to know about the, the, what has been done to Christians over the years. Very sad book to read. It's a very hard book to read because it's very graphic at times on what was done. Price people have paid for being Christians. The price that Christians have paid for their belief burned at the stakes, crushed beneath rocks, put, be, put between boards and put weights on until they died from being compressed, paraded through the streets, and, you know, uh, usually naked, and then uh, killed in various ways. Satan has continually attacked God's people, and yet because we have such a strong belief on what we believe, we're able to say, God, if this is what you want to do, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to suffer for whatever it is you want me to suffer. And Satan has seen this over and over and over. I don't know why he keeps doing it, because the more he you know, destroys the church, the stronger the church gets. But it's true that there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that's going to happen has happened already. 
and will happen again. It, it just is the way it is. And there's going to come a time very soon when we're going to be paying with our lives for believing in Christ. And during the tribulation pe period, those people are really going to pay for, pay for, for, for their belief. The church will be gone, but there's still people that are going to be coming to God, and they've got to, they're going to pay with their lives for coming to Him. Verse 12, Therefore, okay, talked about overcoming the, by the blood of the Lamb and, and, and dying. It says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the, deliver, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. So the short time that Satan has at this point, three and a half years, he's going to make things very difficult. Very difficult for the world. And that's what we talk about, that idea of an animal that's cornered or somebody who has nothing to lose is very dangerous to try to deal with. In Satan's last three and a half years, he knows his time is done. He's just going to try to do as much damage, as much harm, as he can do for that three and a half years. And praise God, the church won't be here, but it will not be someplace you would want to be because he is going to be out to destroy, to kill, to, to hurt as much as poss possible. Verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child, and this is back to Israel again, and the woman was given wings like a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the face of the earth. And that time, times, and half a time is a very fancy way to say three and a half years, which goes back to where we talked about where, she, where the child was born and, and, and she was fed for 1,260 years, which is three and a half years. We see this recurring theme at the end of this book, three and a half years, the last three and a half years of, of Satan's, Satan's rule, and it's going to be a terrible, terrible time because we've got God throwing down the vile judgments and we've got Satan trying to do as much damage as he possibly can within the, the bounds of the leash that God's got on him because God, because obviously he's probably, huh? well, he's always doing that. But he's always had, at this time, his chain is going to be let loose a little longer than it has been. But God still has a chain on him during this three and a half years because if he didn't, he would destroy everything. I mean, he's, he's powerful enough to destroy everything. Yeah. Well, Armageddon will be coming. Uh, he's powerful enough to just say, okay, God, I've only got three and a half years. I'm just taking them all and kill everybody if God didn't keep a leash on him. So even during the tribulation period, Satan has a leash on him. He's not free to do whatever he wants to do because if he was, he would kill all of humanity because that is his goal anyway. And remember, and we've said this before, his goal is to take as many people away from God so that God is hurt to the greatest degree. Okay? Because he's not the ruler of, of hell. He's not, he's not building a kingdom. He is being sent to the prison of hell where he is a prisoner, and anybody he draws in there with him is prisoners. They're not his to rule over. They will have their individual cells just like any other prison, and he will be, but his goal is to hurt God by taking as many of his precious creation of us with him. So that's his whole goal. And if he could during this three and a half years and God gave him a long enough leash, he would have just killed everybody on the planet and said, okay, God, you give me three and a half years, but there's no people left. And again, remember what I've said, 
The tribulation period is God's last-ditch effort to draw just a handful more people into his realm. You know, all of this is to try to get people to come and turn to him. All of it. Otherwise, he'd just you know, kill everybody at the end, you know, rapture, destroy everybody because nobody's coming. And, you know, and they would, you know, because God is not into making life difficult for people just to make it difficult. The whole purpose of pain, the whole purpose of difficulty is to draw us to him so that we will enter into heaven and spend that time with him. That's the whole purpose of, of the pain is to teach us something, to draw us to him. Once we're Christians, sometimes it's to make us empathetic with other people that are having troubles and just to see will we trust God even in the midst of pain. And that's sometimes the hardest thing to do is when things are, seem to be going wrong, to be able to say, okay, God, I still trust you. And that's our story we get from Job where everything goes wrong in his life. Mm -hmm. And Job, and I've said it over and over, Job didn't have the advantage of the first two chapters you know, knowing that God was allowing it as a test. All he knew is that his life was being turned upside down. All the people are going to know in the tribulation is their life is being turned upside down unless they've had some kind of education in the scriptures to know uh, well, we were told this was going to happen. So God takes Israel and has got a place set aside for Israel, which is in other places identified as Petra. It's a, the rock city. It's protected. It's hard to get to. But that is where God's going to place his people. And he's, he will protect the Jews through the last part of the tribulation period. And it says that the serpent is going to cast out water. The earth is going to swallow it up. There's going to be all these attacks on Israel and God's going to protect them just as he's always protected them always he did not let Herod destroy Jesus he did not let Hitler destroy all the Jews he did not let all these other groups that have come against the Jews destroy them he's protected them and he will continue through the tribulation the last half of the tribulation period to protect them and then in verse 17 and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with a remnant of her seed and which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The 144,000 Jews that are giving out the gospel that are turning to Jesus. Satan is going, God is going to remove the Jews from his, from his touch, so he's going to start going after the what's called the tribulation saints, the ones that are converting to Christ after the tribulation. And Satan's going to go to war with them and go after them. And praise God, we won't be here <laughs> to have to go through all of this. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have that, to come before you. We ask that you give us great, great strength in being able to witness. Help us to share the gospel with many. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.